Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Chalmers. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Friday, September 20th. Um, I do acknowledge it's nighttime here. It's like 6, 6.30 tonight on the West Coast, which means it's 9.30 on the East Coast. You will not hear this until Saturday morning. I'm sorry. It's been a, oh my God, a long, busy, stressful day. I, uh, you know, I, I forgot. I moved this week. On, on Monday, I moved. Like, what the heck? I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I keep forgetting that, you know, like, I, <laughs> it's okay for me to be a little behind this week because I got a lot of stuff that went on and I, I, just, I left a college. I don't know. I, I will say, man, I, I'm so excited to have my own space someday. I really badly want to get my own apartment eventually, do my show from there. Please support Strong Opinion Sports. Listen to the show. Help me grow by doing that. Um, I have a lot of great stuff ahead today. We're going to talk about Daniel Jones and Josh Rosen. They're both making their first NFL starts this Sunday. Uh, we're going to talk about Gardner Minshew, who was fantastic last night. We'll talk about Marcus Mariota. We're going to do Ask Zach. We'll do, I have a film analysis for you guys that I think, I actually don't know if anybody wants it. <laughs> we're going to talk about Luke Falk, the third string quarterback for the New York Jets. And I, I don't know that anybody, I, I, I did a film analysis of him because I was curious, how did he play? Do the numbers really lead, you know, follow what everyone's saying about him? I got some interesting stuff for you. I don't think so. Uh, I also want to point out, keep your eye on UCLA football. So Saturday night, tomorrow night, uh, probably tonight if it's you're listening on Saturday. That's very confusing. It's Friday for me, Saturday for you tomorrow probably. So Saturday night, <laughs> UCLA goes to Pullman, Washington, my former place of residence. Oh, what a horrible small town. Uh, sorry to people who love Washington State. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't for me. But UCLA goes to Washington State. Their football program, UCLA, is already 0-3. They've lost to Cincinnati, San Diego State. They lost to, they got crushed by Oklahoma. If they lose tomorrow night to Washington State, they begin their year 0-4. And, and I do not think that, it, at first, that's horrible, right? But the UCLA head football coach, Chip Kelly, will probably be on his way out. Whether it's after the game, in the next couple weeks, later this year, maybe they let the year end first. That's awful. They're already 0-3. He cannot sustain starting 0-4. So if you're curious, if you love college football, pay attention to what happens to UCLA and Washington State. That game has a lot of implications for the UCLA football program. I was excited when Chip Kelly got hired. I thought they were going to build a great program. It has not happened. It just, for whatever reason, I, I haven't paid the attention very much, but I look at their scores and I go, they're not winning. And that's not good. Now, Cincinnati's a well, I love, I really respect their head football coach, Luke Fickle. Um, but man, you got it. You can't start 0-3 the way they have. It's not good at all. And uh, UCLA is in trouble. Let's now shift gears to last night. Oh, man. Uh, last night was Thursday night football. The Titans and the Jaguars played. And uh, the star of the night was my man, Gardner Minshew. I love this cat. Uh, he's, he's a rookie quarterback. Uh, I watched him play. I was on the sidelines watching him play his senior year last year at Washington State. What a joy. He's my favorite quarterback in the NFL. I love him so much. Him and Tom Brady are like, how do you not love Tom Brady? You love him or you hate him, I love Tom Brady. But Gardner Minshew, man, is just the coolest story in the world. So last night he was 20 for 30 passing, 2-0 for 30 passing. 
uh, had 204 yards, two touchdowns. He led the Jaguars to a 20-7 win over the Titans. And my gosh, it was so awesome to watch. I, I, I love it. And one of the reasons why I love Gardner Minshew is I just, his journey speaks to me. I, I, I've transferred schools a lot. I've been to a lot of colleges. And Gardner Minshew went to four different colleges to play football throughout his college football career. And over and over again, coaches did not believe in him. He had to transfer multiple times to find a school that wanted him. And all that time, when he was transferring and moving around, the one thing that did not seem to waver is his family believed in him and loved him and just gave him support, support that he needed. And if that doesn't speak to you, sorry, I'm hitting the table. People hate that. If that doesn't speak to you, I, I don't know what will. Because that, to me, like I watched the postgame interview on NFL Network with Gardner Minshew. He's, he's in the booth. He's in the full uniform basically still, and his family's there with him. And it's like, it's so cool to see that. A guy who has overcome so much, whose family loves him and supports him. And it's crazy to think that right now, Gardner Minshew, the starting quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars, in a parallel universe, is instead coaching right now at Alabama. So if you don't know the story, leading into his senior year, he decided to transfer to Washington State University. And he almost went to Alabama instead of Washington State. And if he'd gone to Alabama, he would have been the third-string quarterback. He was willing to accept that role behind Tua Tungavaloa and Jalen Hurts because he planned to eventually become a graduate assistant at Alabama. He basically was saying, look, I'm going to submit that I'm not, my football career has not worked out. I'm going to be a coach someday. Why not go learn from the very best coach in the nation, Nick Saban? And then he got a phone call from Mike Leach in Washington State. And he, went to, he went to Washington State, and he played there and was fantastic. And he just, I love his attitude. His, kind of, his philosophy in life seems to be, life is an adventure, and I'm going to make the very most of everything I possibly can. And so instead of, you know, if he was, in an alternate universe, Gardner Minshew right now, the guy who's the starting quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars in an alternate universe right now would be doing some menial task like editing film or you know, prep, who knows, whatever graduate assistants do at Alabama, he'd be doing that right now, coaching football rather than playing football. And instead, he's now, again, the Jacksonville Jaguars starting quarterback. Ah, that's awesome. I, I, it's really, really cool. Um, I did a film analysis of him a while ago. Look, his mechanics have significantly improved. His arm strength is better. He's using his legs better to drive the ball downfield. He threw a fade ball last night. It was in a perfect spot. And, you know, his the way he's fought for his journey, the way he's improved on the field is something I respect. As a, as a guy who's played football a lot, played quarterback in the past, the way he self-evaluated and made himself better at his flaws is so cool. And then his story is amazing. It's It's a guy who's easy to root for, who's easy to love. How do you not love Gardner Minshew? It, it's so cool to me, man. You know, his velocity's up. He's playing great. And I talked about him during my last podcast, and I have not been a big believer in the Jacksonville Jaguars to this point in the year. Well, last night he played great, and his team rallied around him, and they won. And I said on, is it Wednesday? I said that it's possible Gardner Minshew plays great all year and his team still doesn't win a lot of games. Looks like so far we have an example where I was wrong. Where Gardner Minshew played great, his team rallied, they won a game. That's awesome. And he, in his post-game interview, he talked about how 
Adversity can bring a team together. That's a great mindset. And I love that. So I want to offer an alternate possibility. Last night we saw an example of it. The proof was in the pudding. It's possible Gardner Minshew plays great this year and rallies the Jacksonville Jaguars. And how cool would that be for a franchise that has suffered for years without a franchise quarterback? Blake Bortles was a guy you wanted to like him. Like the, the, the Jaguars fans were pleading, trying to rally around this quarterback who simply wasn't any good. Blake Bortles, sorry, Gardner Minshew is already better than Blake Bortles ever was in a Jaguars uniform. That's sad, but that's true. That's honest. And so I feel the plight of the Jaguars fans that are like, we haven't had a quarterback in so long. We've wanted one. They finally have one. They can rally behind. And that is so cool. I, I love that. Um, so time will tell. I hope it happens that Gardner Minshew becomes the next NFL star. He doesn't have the strongest arm, but he's good enough. He does all the little things. right. He's great at reading defenses. His arm strength is much improved from college. He's using his legs to drive the ball downfield. He's doing so many little things right, and he's got a great attitude that <laughs> I even said in my film analysis of him, he makes any locker room better because of his attitude. And so as a guy who's been a fan of him for so long, it's awesome to watch. But even for Jaguars fans who are just getting to know Gardner Minshew, I'm so happy for them. Because they have a guy they can rally behind that I think is worthy of their time. And that's cool. I don't, I don't think they've had that in a long time. Because you can rally behind Blake Bortles for a little bit. But he was never going to be what you needed him to be. And Gardner Minshew has the ability to be a franchise quarterback and someone worth supporting. And to me, that is, is so special and so cool. I love watching it. Um, I hope, you know, last year we saw Ryan Fitzpatrick have a couple games where he was really good. And they called it Fitzmagic and it was fun. And then it flamed out and fell off a cliff and it wasn't the same. I really hope that doesn't happen with Gardner Minshew. It could. I don't know that it will because he's, he's so consistent. He's not just throwing for gaudy numbers. He's consistently making good decisions with the football. And I, I think the way he's playing is actually sustainable. But I'm curious if it continues. I hope it does. We'll find out. But my goodness gracious, I, I just really, really enjoy watching Gardner Minshew play football for the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's so fun to me. It's a guy I love and have rooted for for so long. And, and of course, I get, I get so many messages about it. I get tagged in pictures and all kinds of stuff. My fans know I like him. <laughs> it just makes me so happy. It does. It's such a cool story. Um, and and it, it brings me so much genuine joy to watch Gardner Minshew play and play well. All right. Um, let's talk about... The quarterback from the other team last night. <laughs> um, so on Thursday Night Football, on Thursday Night Football against the Jacksonville Jaguars, Tennessee Titans quarterback Marcus Mariota <sighs> was not impressive. And, you know, he wasn't awful. But I will say this. He got shown up by the Jaguars rookie quarterback and sixth-round draft pick Marcus uh, Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew was the star last night, Marcus Mariota was quiet. And that's not, you know, a pun on his personality because he's a quiet guy. He, I kept waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Like, Marcus impressed me, and it, it never happened. His stats were average. They were not awful. They were fine. He was 20 for 40 passing. That's a 57% completion percentage. That's certainly far better than I could ever do in the NFL. That's, that's not awful, but that's not great. 
He had no touchdowns, no interceptions. He held onto the ball way too long. He was sacked nine times. He missed a number of easy throws. And that's unacceptable for an NFL quarterback. He missed a bubble screen. It's like, what the heck? You can't do that. He had a great throw down the right sideline to Adam Humphreys on a wheel route. I was like, wow, that's a great ball. I know, guy was wide open, but still beautiful throw. And then the very next play, just completely airmailed a bubble screen. I was like, how? How? I don't understand. And it wasn't Marcus Mariota's. Is it Mariota or Mariota? I'm going to say Mariota. If you're mad at me, I'm sorry. I, I picked one. I say his name. If I'm wrong, I acknowledge I'm wrong, whatever. It wasn't Marcus's worst performance. Notice I did there. It wasn't his worst performance of his career. It wasn't. He wasn't atrocious. But he also wasn't good enough. He wasn't. So many times when I've watched the guy play football over and over and over and over and over again, I walk away thinking, yeah, that wasn't impressive. And that wasn't good enough. It wasn't awful, but it wasn't good enough. And I've thought that so many times throughout the course of his career. And after enough times, you got to give up. <laughs> you do this is his fifth year in the NFL. We're waiting, and we're waiting. And if he was ever going to pop and be fantastic, it would have happened by now. It's year five. It's time for it to happen, and it's still not happening. You also got to acknowledge Marcus Mariota's never played 16 games in an entire season of his career. He's never played all 16 games of a season ever. In 2017, he had more interceptions than he had touchdowns. More interceptions than he had touchdowns. That's not good. Last year in 2018, in 14 games, he had 11 touchdowns and 8 interceptions. He's not producing at a high enough level. He's not good enough. He's average. He's fine, but you need to expect more. And we're not getting more from Marcus Mariota. And it's time. If you're a Titans fan, I bet you're furious. I'd be, I'd be very frustrated. You're like, we're, we keep waiting for this guy to pop, and it's just not happening. You know who was on the sidelines last night while the Tennessee Titans offense struggled and while they lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars? You know who was sitting there watching just quietly, full uniform on the sideline? Former Dolphins quarterback Ryan Tannehill was on the sidelines for the Tennessee Titans. And he's a fine quarterback. I don't particularly like him. But things were so bad last night. So mundane. That's a great word. Mundane. Not atrocious, but not great. Just very mundane for the Titans offense. They were so mundane that I thought to myself last night, man. Should the Titans play Ryan Tannehill next week instead of Marcus Mariota? Should they? That's a horrifying thought. That's where my head went. It's so bad that we're there. That I'm like I know I'm a bit outside the box. I probably arrive at things like that a lot faster than the Titans will, but four weeks from now, four that's five. Four weeks from now, <laughs> if the Titans still are not seeing a high level of production from Marcus Mariota. He's still just mundane and average. They might just go, look, we're tired of losing games. We need better. We know Ryan Tannehill can be at least average. We're going to take a chance with Ryan Tannehill. That's a real possibility. I, I truly wonder, you know, 
are, are Marcus Mariota's days numbered? Are they? Sad. He's a great guy. He's a, he seems like a wonderful human being. But his quarterback ability, it's, it's not where it needs to be. That game was winnable last night if he plays better. And, it, and it, he didn't. Again, great wheel route. And then the very next play, he misses a bubble screen. And you're like, this is so weirdly inconsistent. And I just want to remind you guys, last night, for about the 15th time that I've watched Marcus Mariota play football. And it seems like every time I play, I, I think, man, that's unimpressive. And that's just not good enough. And after a while, it's going to be time to move on. And Marcus Mariota, he's not awful. He's not. I get why people, some people, if you want to make a case and defend him, you can. Because he's not the worst quarterback in the NFL. But he's not, he's not a franchise. He's not good enough where you need to be. We keep waiting for him to pop and it's not happening. And I, I personally find myself giving up on him. It, it's sad, but that's where I'm at. And that's, that's how it's going to be. Okay, um, two young quarterbacks will be playing this week on Sunday, week three of the NFL. The New York Giants just named Daniel Jones their starting quarterback, and the Miami Dolphins just named Josh Rosen to be their starting quarterback. Two fun young quarterbacks. I can't wait to watch them. Uh, I want to start by discussing the move by the Giants with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones was the sixth overall pick in the NFL draft. And uh, I want you to remember something <laughs> because it's funny. The reaction from Giants fans is, oh, yes, thank God, finally. And I just want you to remember how angry people got when not only Eli Manning was benched last time, but then remember back to the NFL draft in April when the Giants picked Daniel Jones and there was a mutiny. People were angry. Social media was crazy. This is why you cannot listen to social media. It's stupid and most people are wrong. People were so furious. How could you draft Daniel Jones? We should have drafted the other guy. Da, da, all this nonsense. <laughs> now, now they're celebrating that they get Daniel Jones. So bipolar. New York sports fans are... I don't want to lump them all together because some people have known all along that Daniel Jones was great. And some of them are just unreasonable and angry on Twitter, and that's how it is. Um, I think that... First of all, I'm very, very excited to watch Daniel Jones. I don't have high expectations. I think he'll be okay. He's playing the Buccaneers, which is a great game to bring him in. But, but I'm excited to watch. I think he has a chance to succeed. A great running game, an offensive line that's subpar, but he can run around and move. I, I like it. But what I'm really excited about is actually the, the decision from the New York Giants to move on from Eli Manning. A, a hard one, an emotional one. I would compare it to... Uh, my Toyota Corolla. It's a 19, I drive a 1995 red Toyota Corolla. It has 2,000, sorry, 293,000 miles on it. In 7,000 miles, a little less than 7,000 now, I will have 300,000 miles on my car. And my car is a pain in the butt. has all these problems. It will not defrost. Like the windshield's always fogged up. There's the, the, the door on the right side won't unlock with a key. It can only unlock it from the inside. Uh, it won't stay in fifth gear. It's a manual, but I put it in fifth, and it just slides out of fifth. I have to hold it in gear to keep it in fifth gear. It has a bunch of little problems. But if you know the story behind my Toyota Corolla, it was my brother's car, and my brother died three years ago. So his car is like one of the last things I have that are his. And I've driven this car far beyond anybody reasonably 
should. Right, right. I keep fixing it. I keep doing stuff because it's sentimental to me. And I give it more than I should because I love that car. It means so much to me. But recently I've been driving around going, you know what? It's time. It's time to move on and get a new car. It's winter. My, my window's always fogged up. I, gotta, I keep having to hold it in fifth gear. It feels unsafe. I got to drive seven hours away next weekend. I'm like, is this, even, this is scary to me. I don't know if this is the right thing to do. I don't know that I should keep driving this car. And so I'm going to make a tough decision and move on from my Toyota Corolla. I, you know, and, and that's painful, and I'll probably wait till I get to 300000 because that's a cool milestone. But it's the same thing with Eli Manning. It's a tough emotional decision. With a quarterback the Giants have had tremendous good moments with, memories, Super Bowls. He's a legend. It's awesome. It's sentimental. But they made the tough decision of walking away, and I applaud the Giants for doing that. It's time for Daniel Jones. The Giants are 0-2. Daniel Jones, I think, has a better arm. They can, you know, Eli Manning doesn't throw the ball downfield as much as I would like. They run a lot of screens. Some of that's because their offensive line isn't great. And it's not all Eli's fault. Eli's just kind of mundane. And if you're going to get average quarterback play, get average quarterback play from the young guy who can get better. Eli Manning's not going to get better. Him sitting on the bench is the only way that Daniel Jones can get better. You got to, sorry, that was a weird way to put it. Put Daniel Jones in the game. Because that's the only way you have a possibility of getting high-level quarterback play is that eventually he's going to get better and better and better. And I think he will. I believe in Daniel Jones. And so this is absolutely the right move for the Giants. It's moving on from Eli, a guy who is steadily declining, and go to a quarterback who's slowly going to get better and better and better. I believe in Daniel Jones. This is a great move. And I am I'm so excited to watch him. And if, if he's awful and throws two interceptions and sucks on Sunday— I really hope that people give him patience. Give him time. He's a young rookie quarterback. I don't think he's going to struggle. I don't think he's going to be awful. I don't think he throws two interceptions on Sunday. But if he does, don't freak out. Give the man a little bit of patience. I think he's a great quarterback who is going to do good things in this league. But you got to give, with any rookie quarterback, you got to give them time and patience to develop and make mistakes. And the rules shouldn't change for Daniel Jones. Be patient with him. Give him time. And I think if you do, he will be rewarded. We're kind of just in a wait-and-see period. Right now, that's all, all I can say is be patient because we just got to wait. And on Tuesday, when I talk about Daniel Jones, I'll have way more to say, a bunch of in-depth analysis. But for now, that's all I got, and it'll be really fun to see what happens. Now, the Miami Dolphins also made a change at quarterback. They named Josh Rosen their starting quarterback. And uh, he's a second-year QB, a former first-rounder, who went to the Cardinals last year. Uh, then they traded for him in the, in the offseason. And I want to be very clear. The Miami Dolphins are not setting up Josh Rosen to succeed. And that's sad. That's awful. They play the Cowboys this week, who's a really, who are a, the Cowboys are a really good football team. And they're going to batter the Dolphins into the ground, I think. And so I, you know, the Dolphins, have often, the, the Dolphins offensive line is terrible. Their defense is a joke. I, they have so many problems all over their roster. And I think a better team to start your first game against would have been the Redskins in week five. I think you should have waited until week five to play Josh Rosen, honestly. You're just going to get the guy hurt. They play, you know, Who's that great defensive lineman from the Cowboys? He's going to just dominate and, and really maybe hurt Josh Rosen. I don't know. Um, but you know, I will say this. You can't wait too long because the problem is the Dolphins play a lot of really good teams throughout the year. And if you just wait till they play a, a bad team where they have a chance to win or a chance to compete, 
you're going to wait forever because the Dolphins are terrible and they play a lot of good teams with all year on the roster and the record. Um, now, I do think the truth is this. This is why, in my opinion, the Dolphins are starting Josh Rosen this week. I think they're trying to figure out what they have with Rosen. They're trying to figure out, is he a good quarterback? Now, here's the sad reality. If you can't tell he's a good quarterback from practice, he's probably not a good quarterback. Now, every once in a while, some guys are better. I'm, I'm actually a little better. Whenever, whenever I play quarterback, I was a little better when the lights were on in, in a real moment than I was in practice. I just got better. With, and with, when intensity picked up, I played a little better. There are some guys like that. Maybe Josh Rosen is the same way, but if they're not sure, he, he probably stinks, sadly but truly. Because you, you can tell if a guy's a good leader. You can tell if a guy has the little things off the field. You can tell from his preparation and all this stuff. And if he's not cutting it, there's a lot of reasons behind that that are more than just, oh, we can't throw an out route. It's preparation. It's the time you put in. It's who you are. It's your grit as a human. You dig deep in tough moments, all that kind of stuff. But the Dolphins need to determine. We have an early draft pick next year. Everyone's assuming. They have three first-round draft picks. My guess is at least one of them will be in the top 10. And the Dolphins need to determine. Are we going to use an early draft pick on a quarterback? Or are we going to build around Josh Rosen? Now, I also want to be clear. I do not think that the Dolphins starting him is an act of confidence. Some people have said to me, wow, clearly the Dolphins think really highly of Josh Rosen if they're starting him. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it just means they're testing him to find out what he is. That's all. It's just a test. This does not mean they think he's the future of their franchise. It means they want to know if he can play or not. They don't know. They want to find out. If they, if they really believed in him, I think they wouldn't play him all year because they would save the guy from getting hurt, from building bad habits, from getting destroyed with a bad offensive line. No, the reason why the Miami Dolphins are playing Josh Rosen is they're trying to figure out what they have. And I feel bad for him. I don't think their coaches believe in him. I think he's screwed. I think a team is awful. The offensive line is terrible. I think he's going to get clobbered by the Cowboys, and I feel bad for him. I do. He is not. Rosen is not being put in a position to succeed. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But sadly, I think Josh Rosen is going to struggle mightily this year. It's very, very sad. Oh, all right, before we go to break, I want to do a – I'm way too chipper for this topic next. There's a topic I do every single episode. Uh, you may know. You may not know. Um, three years ago, my younger brother took his life, and it was painful. It was awful. It's the worst thing I've ever been through. It's heartbreaking and sad and, and brutal. But I learned two painful lessons in that experience, and the first one is this, is that my younger brother never asked for help. He took his life. And no one knew he was struggling. No one knew he was having a hard time. I saw him once a week at the very least. And, and I texted him a lot more. We sent each other gifts all the time. We were constantly communicating. And I had no idea he was having a hard time. So I encourage you, if you're struggling, please go get help. Go get, talk to a professional. Seek attention. My brother suffered in silence. And then one day I found him dead on the floor. And no one knew it was coming. That's awful and sad. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255. But you know, talk to people in your life. And that's, that's the other painful lesson in all of this is that I did not do a good enough job making it clear that I was there for my brother. 
it, it's awful, but it's true. I, you know, I, I didn't make it clear enough. Hey, I, I love you, man. And if you need to talk, I'm here. So I encourage you listening. Make sure the people in your life know you love them. They know that you're there for them. And that if you're having a hard time, you want to be there to support them. It's really important. Um, I didn't do a good enough job making sure that was clear to my brother. And so I encourage you, make sure the people in your life know you love them. That door is open. They can always come talk to you. And that you're there for them if they're having a hard time. I didn't do a good enough job of that. Please learn from my mistakes. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about Kirk Cousins. Um, we're going to talk about, I'm going to do a film analysis of Luke Falk. We'll do Ask Zach later in the show. And uh, it's going to be a fun one. I, I think a shorter, ep- I don't know. I don't know if it'll be shorter. I actually don't know. I got a full show, so maybe it'll be an hour, hour, 15 minutes. That'll be fun. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. And uh, I'm just now noticing I left my glasses on. Yeah, I don't think anybody realized I do actually wear glasses. Not on the show. It's not my look. I do have glasses that I do not wear on the podcast, but I wear them for, you know, when I need to see stuff at night or on my phone or whatever. Um, During week two of the 2019 NFL season, the Vikings went into Lambeau Field and they played the Green Bay Packers. It was a really big game, a big game for both franchises. And uh, guess what happened? I I was talking about this before. In big games for the Minnesota Vikings with Kirk Cousins as their quarterback, guess what happened? Kirk Cousins wasn't great. In fact, he was bad. 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 Like a sheep. Awful. That was weird. I've never done that. Don't know why I did that. But I did. Deal with it. Uh, In fact, you know, Kirk Cousins was 14 for 32 passing. That's only a 40 Three percent completion percentage. That's atrocious and awful. He had one touchdown, two interceptions. He also had a fumble. And the Vikings lost to the Packers, twenty-one to sixteen. And it seems like people are trying to blame everybody except for the Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins. Some say it's the defense's fault. I think that's absurd. The Packers didn't score in the second half. Period. Couldn't get anything going in the second half. And, you know, I'll cut the Vikings defense a little bit of slack when they're playing Aaron Rodgers. It's not like they're playing Blake Bortles or Marcus Mariota. No, they're playing one of the most talented quarterbacks ever to play the game. So God forbid the Packers defense give up, the Vikings defense, excuse me, give up 21 points and don't allow Aaron Rodgers to score in the second half. So do not blame the Vikings defense for the Vikings loss. On Sunday to the Packers. And then other people blame the offensive line. Uh, no. (laughs) I don't understand. The Vikings ran for 198 yards. Running back Dalvin Cook had 154 yards rushing. They're running the ball well. Oh, and by the way, Kirk Cousins only got sacked one time. One time. I am so, and this is why I'm so fired up. I am so tired of commenters and all kinds of people constantly defending Kirk Cousins. It's absurd. He missed open wide receivers. He was bad on third down. He had three turnovers. Stop making excuses for the guy. Kirk Cousins was the difference in the game. He's why the Vikings lost last Sunday at Lambeau Field against the Packers. He's the reason. That's harsh. But that's true. 
Stop defending the guy. Stop making all kinds of excuses. You can do it if you want. People have made whole videos about it. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I don't understand how you can possibly defend what happened on Sunday. It was a big-time game. They needed their quarterback, and the Vikings quarterback, Kirk Cousins, did not deliver. He was the reason why his team lost. Only sacked once. Defense only gave up 21 points against one of the most talented quarterbacks of all time, maybe the most talented quarterback of all time. The Packers didn't score in the second half. They ran for almost 200 yards rushing. The problem was Kirk. The problem was Kirk Cousins. And you know what the first step in solving a problem is? It's accepting you have a problem. And if the Vikings fans cannot accept that their quarterback is becoming and has been a problem, he's not awful. Kirk is not the worst quarterback in the NFL. But he did not deliver on Sunday, and he has not delivered in big moments repeatedly in his career. Results matter. And the result on Sunday was not good enough from Kirk Cousins. The result wasn't great. His statistics were terrible. He made bad throws. He missed open guys. You cannot have that. So <laughs> I know I'm, I'm, I'm going a little too long with this, but I please stop defending Kirk Cousins and stop, most importantly, stop making excuses for him. The day he plays great, defend him. Awesome. But when you make excuses for him, yeah, it, it, that's not good at all. That's, that's awful and that's sad and that's blind, loyal fandom. I respect people who are fans of football teams. But the minute you don't demand the best you can from your team is, is the minute you have an unhealthy problem. If you love something, expect greatness from it. Because you as a Vikings fan, if you're a Vikings fan, you want your quarterback to do well because you want to win games. And if you're losing games because your quarterback isn't doing well, there's a logic problem there where you should say, hey, Kirk, you got to be better. So don't make excuses for him. You want to win. So demand better from your guy because he's the reason you lost on Sunday. And that's a problem. That's a big, big problem. All right. Oh, I got worked up. I got worked up, guys. I did. I just, I'm so sick of that narrative. I'm so, so tired of people telling me that Kirk Cousins is not how people, some guy literally commented, he sent me a message. I don't know how I saw this. Someone, one time someone literally told me, how dare you say Kirk Cousins struggles in big moments? Dude, the proof is in the pudding. Look at his record. Look at how he plays. Look at the turnovers. Look at this. There's so many examples and arguments you can make. And the people that deny that are just denying fact at this point. I don't know what else to tell them. <laughs> it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. Oh. All right. I want to talk about the Jets quarterback, Luke Falk. So if you don't know, the Jets' official starting quarterback, Sam Darnold, is out because he has mono. And <laughs> it is what it is. I don't know. Like, what the heck? I don't know. That's weird and whatever. Sam Darnold's out. I don't have a – it's absurd. I've never seen anything like it. So on Monday Night Football, when the Browns played the Jets, Trevor Simeon started at quarterback for the Jets, and then he hurt his ankle. He's out for the year. He was replaced by a guy named Luke Falk. And, and it's important to know, Luke Falk is in his second year 
in Adam Gase's system. Last year, he was with him in Miami. He was a practice squad player who hung around and learned the offense. And, you know, now he's, he's back playing for the same coach. And for a combination of, I think, three things, so many people have sent me all kinds of messages about the Jets' current quarterback, Luke Falk. All, there's, there's a couple of reasons. Number one is this. Uh, I worked on the sidelines at Washington State University during his senior year, and I, I saw a lot of things, and I was not a fan of what I saw. Wasn't a fan of the way he played. I was like, you know, he's fine. He's not great. He's not amazing. And then he was drafted with the 199th pick in the NFL draft. And if you remember, you probably don't remember, but if you know, Tom Brady was drafted also with the 199th pick. And then if you look you look back in history, oh, uh, Tom Brady in his second year in the NFL stepped in when the starting quarterback got hurt and played fantastic. And the rest, the rest is history. And, and Luke Falk idolizes Tom Brady. And it's his second year, and he's replacing a starting quarterback. So the story is too rich that, you know, now in Luke Falk's first start ever in the NFL, guess who he's playing against? Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. If you love telling stories like I do, that's, that's a rich story that's amazing to me. I'm like, oh, what a weird set of coincidences that all had to lead to this moment. And Luke Falk, this is the third reason why people keep bothering me about Luke Falk and sending me all kinds of messages and tagging me in posts and not harassing me. It's not the right, but like sending me all kinds of information and being very vocal about how they love Luke Falk. His statistics on Monday Night Football were solid. He was 20 for 25 passing. That's 80%, if you don't know the math there. He had an 80% completion percentage, 198 yards, but also no touchdowns and no interceptions. The Jets' offense scored three points. But man, this is the one, you know, people keep saying, 20 for 25. Whoa! Can you believe what that guy did on Monday Night Football? Yeah, okay, his completion percentage was solid, but it was misleading. You do understand that if you watch the film, Luke Falk threw the ball underneath for two yards like every single play, like every single time. Of his 20 completions, I, did, I counted them up each one, 15 of his 20 completions traveled like two yards. <laughs> they, were, they were either checkdowns or quick screens. That's not elite. That's not... They were dinky, short, little throws. 15 of his 20 completions were dinky, short, little throws. Oh, and by the way, Jets running back, Le'Veon Bell had 10 catches. Eight of them were thrown by Luke Falk. So eight of his 20 completions were checkdowns to Le'Veon Bell. Another three were checkdowns to the other running back, Ty Montgomery. 15 of Luke Falk's passes were either checkdowns or screen passes. And the reality is the Jets ran the ball a bunch. They had a very conservative game plan with Luke Falk. And, and the guy had a bunch of safe completions. Hey, cool, man. That's, that's, a cool, that's a cool story. Like, I'm happy for you. You had a cool completion percentage on Monday Night Football. Now, I will acknowledge, right, the Jets did not do him any favors. They were constantly in long down situations because of penalties or because of sacks. Situations like first and 15, Second and 21, third and 17, third and 13. Over and over and over again, the Jets kept shooting themselves in the foot. I can acknowledge that. 
And then one of the only times the Jets had a real opportunity to score, their running back Le'Veon Bell fumbled. And that's, that's very sad. That's a frustrating mistake by the Jets. And then there was another moment where the Jets lined up with five wide receivers. They put Le'Veon Bell, the Jets' running back, far wide to the right. So he, if you look on the screen, he's the top guy on the screen. And he's the Jets' best player, running with the ball in his hands, making people miss. He's hard to tackle. And the Jets got an amazing matchup. They had two defenders over three receivers. So the Jets have two guys, two receivers to block two defenders. And then the third guy, Le'Veon Bell, has oh, he's home free. This should be a touchdown because there's nobody left. If you do the math, two guys to block two guys, nobody left to tackle Le'Veon Bell. This should be a touchdown. But the Jets screwed up their blocking assignment. That stinks. That's sad. A What could have been a touchdown becomes a one-yard gain because of poor execution. Next on Luke Falk's second drive, he throws a great pass to Josh Bellamy. Hits him in the hands. It's dropped. My point is this. The Jets' offense screwed up a lot on Monday Night Football. They were not organized. They looked, it was messy. It was not good. But you also have to acknowledge, behind the statistics of Luke Falk, he also made numerous mistakes. We'll start with a sack. Uh, the Jets are on the 11 and a half, we'll call it the 12-yard line. It's first and 10, and there's a weird moment where Luke Falk has a guy open on a dig route. And he looks at the guy, he, like you can see, on film, looking at the guy. And he doesn't pull the trigger. He hesitates and gets sacked instead. And I'll give him this one. It's his first NFL game. He's new at Jung. He was on the practice squad. There's, you know, he hasn't had a lot of live reps. Fine. I understand it all. The pressure on the right side caused Luke Falk to hesitate and not throw the ball. And I, I think as he gets more reps and, and practices more, he's going to gain more confidence, and this will become a completion. But I wanted to see Luke step up and throw the ball right there, and he didn't. Frustrating and sad. Now, later on third and two near the goal line, Robbie Anderson gets open in the end zone. And Falk floats the ball up and takes, takes too long to get there. And it's the right idea, but he misses a touchdown because he get, makes a bad throw. The very next play on fourth and two, he has a guy wide open in the middle of the field. And usually when you see a guy open in the middle of the field that flashes in front of you, you throw him the ball. He doesn't throw him the ball. He skips right over him, throws the ball to Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell <laughs> was not able to get the first down, was not able to run for the first down after the catch. He had a guy open at the marker, didn't throw it to him. Instead, he tried to force it to Le'Veon Bell, who couldn't get a first down. End of the drive. It was fourth and two, drive over. And by the way, that was a good play call. The play worked. He had a guy wide open at the first down marker. Luke Falk did not throw him the ball. Now the next drive on third and two. The Jets roll out to the right. And Jamison Crowder is open immediately on an out route in the flat. Luke Falk takes too long. He isn't ready to throw the ball quickly. And Jamison Crowder is expecting the ball quickly. Their timing's off. He's, Luke Falk is too late. He throws a late incompletion. Now on the next drive on fourth and three, another example. The Jets ran a pick concept. It's mirrored on both sides. What that means is both sides ran the same concept. The number two wide receiver runs vertical to occupy the defender over the number two receiver. 
Then the number one receiver ducks inside underneath, and that's called a rub concept. Falk chose to throw the ball to the right. Now, personally, pre-snap, I like the leverage and the spacing better of the left side of the field. But hey, there's a caveat to this one. This is the one I'll give some credence to. Maybe this is what he was thinking. The Jets are on the right hash. And the receivers on the right are stacked. And it's possible Luke Falk had coach in his headset telling him to go to the right side of the field. That's possible. That, that was the plan from the beginning. He didn't have the option to pick a side. I think if he was able to pick a side, he should have picked the left. But the point is this. The inexperience of Luke Falk cost the Jets on third and fourth down. He also had two good throws. I, I don't want to just be mean to the guy and say you know the bad mistakes he made. He had two good throws. He had a great back shoulder throw to Robbie Anderson down the right sideline. It's a great throw. A great catch. A really good catch. And then his best throw of the night was on third and five. Uh, about eight minutes left. Eight minutes and 51 seconds, I believe. It's a great throw. Great timing. Great anticipation. It's a deep throw to Jamison Crowder on what people call a climb concept, a climb route. Climb behind the linebackers. Find a space between the linebackers and the safeties. He fits it in. It's a beautiful throw. He did some good stuff. I'm not just saying Luke Falk is all bad. But a lot of people were really excited about Luke Falk's stats. And I got so many messages about it. And it's like, 20 for 25. Oh, 80% completion percentage, Monday Night Football. And it's like, the reality is the guy wasn't that impressive. He made, he had an 80% completion percentage because he didn't make very many good throws. He wasn't throwing the ball downfield. He threw 15 checkdowns, checkdowns and screens. He wasn't good on fourth down. And the Jets, if you, in case you missed it somehow, the Jets only scored three points all night. It has a little bit to do with their quarterback because he wasn't completing passes on third and fourth down. So um, if, I, if I sound annoyed, I didn't mean to be. I don't, Luke Falk is a great human being. I, I've met him. He was nice to me. Uh, and, you know, Sunday between the Jets and the Patriots, I hope he shocks the world. Hope he's amazing. And if he's amazing, I'm willing to admit that I was wrong. He idolizes Tom Brady. How cool would it be? They don't have to win. If he plays well against his idol, Tom Brady, that'd be awesome. I'd be so happy for Luke Falk. But I personally think Luke Falk is going to struggle against the Patriots defense. And I was... I kept getting, I was overwhelmed and kind of bothered by how many messages I got about Luke Falk. It was really cool, actually. Like, I'll be honest. Get, you know, getting tagged and stuff like, oh, that's cool. People know that I, I have talked about him in the past. But people were so excited about his completion percentage. And it's like, there's the story behind the numbers is that it's not that impressive. So I, I wish, I hope he's great. I hope he shocks the world. I think Luke Falk is really going to struggle against the Patriots on Sunday. And um, that's all I have to say. I, I'm rooting for him. I think the Jets will be better with Sam Darnold. Um, but hey, I, I think Luke Falk is a great backup who showed that he can, when he's called upon, complete passes and do okay. He can, he can hang in the NFL, and that's that's awesome. And, and I, I'm sure it was a great moment for him getting to play on Monday Night Football. That's so cool. And so I, I hope the Jets kill it on, on Sunday against the Patriots. I think they're going to get killed instead. But um, that's my film analysis of Jets quarterback Luke Falk. All right, uh, I'm going to take a short break. When I return... We'll do Ask Zach. And you know what? It's my favorite segment of the show. I'm so excited, guys. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. 
Um, I want to say something really cool before we start the segment. Um, I got a message from a guy named Sean Duffy on Instagram a couple minutes ago. Sean, first of all, thanks for listening. You're awesome. He sent me a picture, and I, and I guess it's a story, and maybe do some research afterwards. I guess that Gardner Minshew in college once, to save eligibility and give himself a medical red shirt, tried to break his own hand with a hammer. And I guess it didn't work. He, you know, he could only hit his hand three times, and he just bruised his throwing hand. Um, but he was unable to um, break his own hand with a hammer. And he would have done that to save eligibility. And how cool is that? That just goes to show how much the guy loves football and wants to play football. Uh, Gardner Minshew is a, a one-of-a-kind special guy and special player. And uh, I just thought, that ah, story is so cool. And I thought, totally worth sharing. Like, oh, what a guy after my own heart, you know. Um, college el- eligibility is so weird. And college in general, the way they control you and have so much they have so much control over their athletes, and it's so weird and bizarre. And um, I think it's a cool w- outside-the-box way to try to um, extend your eligibility. Obviously, it didn't work. He didn't actually end up getting a medical red shirt. He just bruised up his hand and said he shut it in a car door. But, man, how do you not love Gardner Minshew? Just a little bit more from that story. I certainly do, and I think that's awesome. All right. Um, it's time for Ask Zach. This is the segment uh, that I use to end every single podcast. People who support me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. Uh, you can give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want. I'm trying to get my own place and have a studio and you know do far better than this on the show. Um, so please, if you want to give me more money, I, I love your money. Uh, but if you give a dollar a month, what it does is give you access to submit questions on Patreon. You send them to me through Patreon DMs. You can send them to me on – you can comment on Patreon posts. I only accept questions through Patreon. And I will not guarantee that if you send a question, I will read it on the show. But I guarantee I will look at it with my eyeballs. And then I pick the best couple questions and talk about them on my podcast, Strong Opinion Sports. Well, that's – I guess you know what that is because you're here listening. I don't know. What, it's it's weird to like try to you know hit all the points and say the right stuff and I don't know, it, whatever. I want to start – my first question is from Jack – uh, about Utah football. Jack says this. He says, Hey, Zach. Cheers from the University of Utah. What do you think of our title chances? What do you think our title chances are this year and why? Our defense is looking stellar as expected, and we are 3-0. and Just curious on your opinion. So, by the way, Utah is playing USC right now. It's 7.30 right now. The game, I think, just started at 7.30. Um, I, <laughs> well, first of all, Jack, um, I'm actually going to Utah next weekend. Next weekend, I am broadcasting at the Utah-Washington State football game. I'll be in Salt Lake City. If you're there, Jack, and you want to say hi, dude, say hi. I'm happy to. That'd be really, really cool. Um, I, 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 it's going to be awesome, by the way. I, I like, I'm really excited for that opportunity to broadcast a football game. That is unbelievable. I, I'm so excited. Um, I think Utah has a chance to win the Pac-12. If you think that Utah has a chance to get a national title— Jack, I'm sorry. I think, you know, whatever you're drinking or smoking down in Salt Lake City, I love some of that because I don't think that's ever going to happen. <laughs> um, now, especially, though, I, I think definitely that after, because University of Washington lost to Cal earlier in the year, that gives Utah a special opportunity, and they have a great chance to win the Pac-12. Assuming they got to win tonight, right? Tonight, if they lose to USC, it's all over. So I'm, I might be dating this podcast by putting it before then, but I'm operating on the assumption that USC – in fact, loses to Utah. Utah has a great defense. I like their quarterback. Uh, he's gained a lot of muscle. He's really fast. He's a great runner. And I love Utah's program. I love their head coach, Kyle Whittingham. I think Kyle Whittingham 
is one of the most stand-up college coaches in the entire NCAA. I really like how he operates his program, and I would, I'd love to play for him. He's a great guy. So assuming that Utah beats USC tonight, they have a great chance to win the Pac-12. They have zero chance to win a national title. And the reason is because they cannot hang with teams like Clemson and Alabama or Oklahoma. They, they are 3-0. And congratulations, but the three teams they've beaten to go 3-0 are BYU, Northern Illinois, and FCS Idaho State. That's not very impressive. It's like, oh, wow, you went 3-0. You played an FCS team and you beat two crappy college teams. Congratulations. Um, so I'm really sorry, but the best Utah, Utah can do is win a Pac-12 championship. They have no chance to win a national title. Jack, I'm, I, I think that's a, a realistic way to – that's realistic expectations. Now – in a, in, a, in a scenario where Utah goes undefeated, they win the Pac-12, then yeah, they might have a chance to get into the college football playoff. But even then, whoever they play is going to blow them out. It's, it's not going to end well for them. So I think if you're a Utah fan, what you really want is to not make the college football playoff. You want to win the Pac-12, get a great bowl game, a bowl game you can win. Like at one of those you know New Year's Six Bowl, that'd be awesome. Get a New Year's Bowl and then have something to celebrate at the end of the year. Because, Jack, I, I care for you in your heart. And what I don't want is you to get smacked by Clemson 49-7. to That'd be sad. And you don't deserve that as a fan. I think what you should hope for, not, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but what I hope for you is that Utah wins a Pac-12, gets a New Year's bowl game, gets slighted and doesn't make it into the college football playoff, and then gets to win a bowl game on New Year's Day. That's a great ending to their season, and that's – I think the very best outcome outcome that Utah football can have. Because, again, what you don't want is to be Notre Dame football a couple of years ago when they got absolutely clobbered by Alabama in the national championship game. That would be sad. And you would lose the game earlier, the game to get into the national championship game. So if I'm a Utah fan, I do not want my team to go into the college football playoff. I don't think they can hang on a national level, but they certainly, if they play well all year and can play consistently, they could win the, the Pac-12. It'd take a lot of work, and it'd be a hard feat but they could win the Pac-12 and get a great bowl game. That, Jack, is what I hope for you and your team. The next two questions are from Dominic and Brady. I'm going to start by reading Dominic's. Dominic says, hey, Zach, I hope football's going well for you. Uh, well, I'm, I'm done playing football. And I, I, think, I think people know that. I don't know. Not, no, I'm not blaming you. I just I, I get a lot of comments like, how's football going? And I'm not playing right now. I, I left my team. I, I walked away from the situation I was in. It was painful. It sucked. Um, I hope my team, they play tomorrow. I hope they win. I love my head coach, love my teammates. Um, it was, there's a lot behind it and it was painful. I don't want to talk about it anymore. So Dominic says, do you think it's too early for Daniel Jones to be starting for the Giants? Should they have given him more time or at least wait for his receivers to be healthy? That's Daniel's, that's Dominic's question. Brady says this, Brady says, Hey Zach, hope all is well. I was curious what you thought about benching of the benching of Eli Manning. Is it all on him, or was the scheme coaching slash scheme slash coaching the problem? So about all this, um, here's the thing: I think Daniel Jones is probably a better quarterback than Eli Manning, if not better. He's got a better arm, and they're very close. And if Daniel Jones is better in practice, then you cannot deny the team that. If you wait too long to play Daniel Jones, you're going to lose the locker room if you're Pat Shermer, the head coach of the Giants. Because after a while, when the best guy isn't playing. The team gets frustrated, and the locker room culture suffers. I really think that you know playing Eli Manning opens up the playbook for the Giants. 
He's got a better DJ has a better arm. Daniel Jones has a better arm. Uh, they've been throwing a ton of screens and underneath passes with Eli Manning. They'll do that with Daniel Jones, but we might see some balls more down the field and more stretching in the field from Daniel Jones because he's got a better arm and can throw the ball farther with more velocity. And about Eli Manning, it's just time. It's time to move on. Eli Manning's ceiling has been reached. He's only declining. We're at the very beginning of something great for Daniel Jones. And if he gets better over time and improves, man, the ceiling is special and astronomical. So you got to go with the guy with more upside, especially if they're both average and not great. Daniel Jones makes sense. It's absolutely the right time. I made this comparison earlier in the podcast. I'll do it briefly here. The comparison I make to the Giants benching Eli Manning is like my car. My Toyota Corolla is a 1995 Toyota Corolla with 293,000 miles on it. In about 6,500 miles, I'll have reached 300,000 miles on my engine. My car is incredibly sentimental. It means a lot to me. It was my brother's car. My brother died three years ago. When he died, I got his car. So I don't want to get rid of that car. I've kept that car way longer than I should have because it means a lot to me. But let's be honest about my Toyota Corolla. To keep it in fifth gear, it's a manual. I have to hold the shifter in fifth gear so it doesn't slide out of fifth gear and shift down and go into neutral on the freeway. It's scary. The transmission is slowly failing in my car. And uh, it leaks oil like a pain. It's just awful. It leaks oil like crazy. And the door on the right side doesn't unlock from the outside. It can only unlock the door on the passenger side from the inside of the car. And the Front windshield doesn't defrost at all. And for a long time, I've overlooked all these problems because, man, I love that car. It means a lot to me. It's sentimental. But when you have an alternative option, all those problems amplify. And you go, like, ah, you know, that, that windshield thing, the fact that I can't see out of my windshield for like 20 minutes without a rag and, and waiting for it to defrost bothers me a lot. And the fact that I have to hold my car into fifth gear is really frustrating. And if you have an alternative option, those little problems slowly bother you more and more and more until you're like, I'm done. I'm not dealing with this. It's over. Can't handle it. That's what happened with the Giants. They're moving away from a quarterback they love that's incredibly, deeply sentimental and meaningful to them. Elon Manning had great moments with the Giants. Two Super Bowls. They love him in New York. All these great memories. And in spite of that, it's time to move on because there's a better option. There's a better option on the horizon. So, yeah, it's the right time to move on from Eli Manning. It's sad, especially because the Giants are 0-2. The Giants play the Buccaneers this week. They have a great chance. And here's the other part of this, all this whole thing that no one seems to realize. The Giants are 0-2, and they had a bad record last year. Their head coach, Pat Shermer, is trying to keep his job. Bad season last year, and 0-2 start this year. If you have a bad year again this year, you look like a bad head coach. They need to have some kind of hope for the future, and that is what Daniel Jones brings the Giants. That is why the Giants are playing Daniel Jones this week and why he was named their starter. Uh, the next question comes from, uh, it's, it's spelled A-L-O-N. He's one of my biggest supporters. I assume it's a guy. Uh, Alon or Allen? I don't know. I'm going to call you Alon because I think that sounds really cool. And your name's awesome. I I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, But, man, Alon, I I really hope I'm saying your name right. You've been such a big supporter of me for so long. You've supported me on YouTube comments. You now support me on Patreon. Dude, I I love you so much, and I'm I'm so grateful for your support. I'm sorry I don't know exactly how to pronounce your name. But I I do. I've I've recognized your name for forever. You're a longtime supporter, and I'm so grateful. So he writes in and says, after two weeks of dominating poor teams – 
How well do you think the 49ers will do? Do you trust Jimmy G? Do I trust Jimmy Garoppolo? No. No, not at all. Uh, I will acknowledge he was better week two than he was week one. In week two, they dominated the Bengals 41-17. to But week one, he missed a lot of easy throws. And as a quarterback, making as much money as he's making, that cannot happen. I am very unimpressed by Jimmy Garoppolo. And trust is built over time through consistency. And the reality is that 49ers will only go as far as Jimmy Garoppolo takes them. I love the 49ers roster. I love their general manager. I love their head coach. I think they're headed in the right direction. My only question, actually, it's a weird thing to have this much of a question, especially as much as he's paid. My question about the 49ers is, is Jimmy Garoppolo up to the task? I don't know. We saw a great flash in his first season with 5-0, and and then he was awful last year, and then he got hurt. And then he's been ah, up and down and rocky, and I have a lot of questions. I don't know. I really don't. Expectations are high because of the contract that he signed. And the next three weeks, they play the Steelers, the Browns, and the Rams. Three good teams. Capable teams. Not, not the best in the NFL, but really good team. The Rams especially, that's a great team. And the Browns are going to put up a lot of points. You got to bring your best you got to play well against the Browns. And he's going to need to play well if the, if the 49ers are going to win. Jimmy Garoppolo needs to play well for the 49ers to win. And in the next three games, Jimmy G has a chance to earn a little bit of trust. But trust is built over time. And right now, Jimmy Garoppolo does not have my trust. The last question is from Gregert. Gregert, I love you. I don't know. I, I have so many questions about your name, but I think it's awesome. He says, Zach. What are your takeaways from the new NFL coaches, particularly Kingsbury, Fangio, uh, Fangio, 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 Gase, and LaFleur? Uh, I'm just going to go through all eight coaches, kind of share my thoughts. Uh, number one, Matt LaFleur with the Green Bay Packers. He's 2-0. and They have a really brutal schedule early on. They start their schedule with the Bears, the Vikings, week one and two. Then they're on to the Broncos, the Eagles, and the Cowboys. So having a 2-0 and start with the Packers schedule right now is enormous. That's great. The front of their schedule is really hard. And I like what they're doing. They're doing some good offensive stuff. Uh, they struggled a little bit, but they're playing. Again, the Bears defense and the Vikings defense are phenomenal. We did see a confrontation last week right before halftime between the Packers and the Vikings. Aaron Rodgers and his coach were yelling at each other. Um, I, you know, my, my gut, a lot of people are like, is it bad? Is it good? We don't. My gut says that that's just what happens in football. Sometimes people yell at each other. It wasn't elongated. And actually, you know, his body language has been fine. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Now, the, if you're going to have a concern about last week's game for the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, the question is, why didn't they score in the second half? That's concerning. But no, so far, they're off to a great start. Their defense is great. They're 2-0 and against two good teams. I feel really positive about the Packers head coach, Matt LaFleur. How about the Bengals head coach, Zach Taylor? The Bengals are 0-2. They got smacked by the 49ers. Their defense was awful. And statistically, Andy Dalton isn't terrible at quarterback, but eh, just eh, not impressed. It, it looks not off to a great start. You know, a great start would have been Andy Dalton throws like four touchdowns and really impresses me. And he's got to impress me because he's been very subpar and mundane for years. And so um, I, I think Zach Taylor deserves more time. 
The defense is bad. Andy Dalton is meh. And uh, we'll just, we're kind of in a wait and see scenario with Zach Taylor. But all right, now, I'm not encouraged if I'm a Bengals fan, are you? Because I, if I'm a Bengals fan, I'm going, ooh, please, I hope that's not our best. The Broncos and Vic Fan, uh, Fangio. I have this problem every time I try to say this guy's name. Vic Fangio. I'm going to call him Fangio. Accept it. Sorry. The Broncos are 0 2. Uh, but, man, you know, they, they were really close to beating the Bears. They've been in both of the games they've played. Uh, what was weird is week one against the Raiders, they didn't have a sack, and they have two great defensive ends, you know, Bradley Chubb and Vaughn Miller. So I, I hope that that improves over the time. But, you know, we'll just got to wait and see what happens with the Broncos. I think they, they have a chance to do good stuff this year, and we really just kind of got to wait and see. I will say this. Uh, Zach Taylor and Vic Fangio are two really smart football minds. But there's a difference between being a smart football mind and being a great head coach. Smart football minds make great offensive coordinators. But just because a guy's good at coaching X's and O's does not mean he will make a good head coach. Being a good head coach is about setting the tone, creating a culture. My head coach in college coached linebackers, and that was it. He had a different def- – he delegated to the defensive coordinator, and he had an offensive coordinator. The head coach wasn't a coordinator of anything. He delegated all of it because his job was to set the culture and do all the other st- – there's so much stuff that involves being a head coach. And so Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, Tony Dungy, head coaches requ- – to be head coach, it requires more than knowing football. Your job is to set the tone and create a culture. And a great example of this is Pat Shermer, the Giants head coach, was a great offensive coordinator who's really struggled as a head coach. And so with Zach Taylor and Vic Fangio, they might be brilliant football minds, great coordinators, who do not do a good enough job setting the tone and creating a culture in their franchise. So they might struggle as head coaches, even though they know football really well. That's what I want to see from them. How about the Dolphins? Uh, Brian Flores and the Dolphins have been awful. Now, uh, I don't judge Brian Flores at all because I don't think they're trying to win. I think the Dolphins are tanking. I think they do not care about winning. They're trying to get good draft picks and then rebuild next year in the offseason. They're going to be said they were going to be very aggressive in the offseason. So Brian Flores, the Dolphins have been terrible. I don't hold it against them at all because I don't think the Dolphins are actually at all trying to win football games. How about the Browns with Freddie Kitchens? So far, I am unimpressed with the Browns and their head coach. Uh, week one, they got killed by the Titans. And yeah, they beat the Jets on Monday Night Football. The Jets are terrible. So like, is that really an accomplishment? I don't think so. I don't know. I'm worried about the Browns' personalities becoming a problem. This watch thing with Odo Beckham Jr., this, this dissension. It's not good. And so I I have been, to this point, unimpressed with Freddie Kitchens. But again, it's only we're only two weeks in. Let's wait and see what happens. The question, though, is can Freddie Kitchens build a good enough culture in Cleveland? That's my question. Cliff Kingsbury is 0-1-1, one loss, one tie. But I'm impressed with his quarterback, Kyler Murray. I like his offense. We'll just, we kind of just got to wait and see again. It's too early to really tell with Cliff Kingsbury. And then the Buccaneers head coach, Bruce Arians, he's 1-1. One one. The concerning thing, though, is I really thought he was going to help their quarterback, Jameis Winston. And so far, Jameis Winston has been really unimpressive like not great at all so I'm a little bit disappointed that Bruce Arians isn't doesn't seem to be really making the Tampa Bay quarterback better 
Uh, I guess we just got to wait and find out. But, you know, to this point, I- I'm I'm sad. And then, you know, Adam Gase of the Jets. His quarterback, Sam Darnold's out with mono. Uh, they're down to their third-string quarterback, Luke Falk. Here's the thing, though. Um, my concern with the Jets is that their offensive execution has been lackluster. Their, their defense looks great, actually. I really, like, you know, they, they can only do so much. If their offense doesn't support them at all, they're screwed. But the defense has actually been solid. I, I'm not, they're not awful. Not great, but not awful. But the offense looks at times disorganized. They, they do the wrong assignments and do the wrong stuff sometimes. Like, dude, you're the head coach. You got to get this buttoned up. You're supposed to be this offensive genius kind of coach. And Adam Gase isn't getting the job done right now as a coordinator. So I know you're starting quarterbacks out. There's all kinds of excuses that can be made. They don't have a great playmaker at wide receiver. They have Robbie Anderson who can run straight, and that's about it. And they have Le'Veon Bell who great running back. But what do you do with a great running back if you can't throw the ball? I don't know. Um, but right now, my concern of the Jets is that their offense is disorganized and does not look well coordinated. And that's the head coach's job is he's the offensive coordinator. It should be better. So uh, that's how I feel about all the, the head coaches. The one I've been most impressed with so far has been Matt LaFleur. He's 2-0. and Two big wins. Week one in the ba- with the Bears. Week two at Lambeau hosting the Vikings. Two great wins. Um, and then Vic Fangio, don't sleep on him. I think, you know, the, the Broncos have struggled early. But they've been in both of their games. And don't give up on Vic Fangio. They were a couple plays away from beating the Bears last week. Um, Yeah, Yeah, that's all I have. Thank you so much for listening. That is Strong Opinion Sports for today. We'll be back on probably Tuesday. Because what I'd like to do is a film analysis of Daniel Jones and Josh Rosen. Kind of break down their game and what happened. And the film doesn't come out until Monday. So I'll need Monday to review it and look at it. Um, But I am excited for next week. Um, I'll do a show probably Thursday. I don't know. I don't know yet. Maybe Wednesday. I don't know. I have to be in Pullman, Washington next Friday. And then I'm going to Salt Lake City for the the Washington State Wazoo game. And I'm broadcasting that. So I don't know what's going to happen later next week, but expect a podcast on Tuesday. I'll record it in the morning because I'm working on it all weekend and Monday morning. So Tuesday morning I'm recording. Expect that Tuesday afternoon roughly. Hopefully I can get out before you guys leave work and before you drive home. So on your drive home from work on Tuesday, I hope you guys have something to listen to. I hope it's Strong Opinion Sports. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for your support. I appreciate you guys so much. Please remember to help me grow by telling your friends about the show. My name is Zach Schaumler. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done. Bye.